You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, Peter, Carolyn, it's lovely to see you here. We've been praying for Samuel and just amazed to see how prayer works. I just want to encourage you all. Uh, God can do a lot with a little. God can do a lot with a little. Amen. Guys from, uh, from Ukraine, uh, we welcome you as brothers and sisters this morning. We're so pleased that you're with us. Um, th- this wasn't in any way planned today. Um, you'll see why this becomes kind of significant. And actually, you might notice that the colors I've chosen to use this week reflect the colors of the Ukrainian flag. It's deliberate. Uh, and I'm going to get into that. I did not know that these guys were coming today. And Simeon, most of you haven't met Simeon, but you've heard a lot about him. Uh, he and I have been talking a lot over the past year. Uh, and he just messaged me yesterday to say, hey, Tom, look out for these guys. They, they might come to your church tomorrow. We're so blessed to have you with us. And we, we really pray that you feel the, the richness and the encouragement uh, and the love that is coming to you because you're part of the body of Christ and we welcome you as such this morning. God is the God who can do much with little, a little time, little opportunity. We, we heard a couple of weeks ago about doors of opportunity, maybe little doors, but doors nonetheless, little resources. Little people like me and Jess. Tiny, tiny little people. Little faith. God can do much with little. Little churches, little towns. Now, I intended to start today going back into Philippians chapter 3 and and linger there for the next 24 years. But I've decided to pause it uh, just for the moment because I, I think it's right Uh, to speak into some new and some ongoing circumstances, which which are are very specific circumstances, but also the way these circumstances make us act and feel are perhaps familiar. Circumstances like, in this country, the cost of living, the energy crisis, political turmoil, like, honestly, I get a YouGov poll every so often and it says, if you were to vote tomorrow, who would you vote for? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, who, who, where would my vote go at the moment? And then there's bewildering and confusing transformation of societal ideology. Like how much this has changed even in the last few years and it can be very unsettling. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we stand. Identity is being eroded. And then there's Ukraine uh, and this horrible and ongoing war in Ukraine that that for most of us we think it, it goes back to February the 24th last year but actually it goes back to 2016 with the illegal annexation of Crimea. Uh, And I'm going to circle back to that because there are fresh risks as well. And then this week, this week, Turkey and Syria. 
terrifying numbers, incomprehensible, heartbreaking numbers. Like, I, I can't wrap my head around the suffering. And all of this is overwhelming. And perhaps some of you feel overloaded because not just Turkey and Syria and Ukraine, but Myanmar, but, but, but the, the Muslims who are being like re-schooled, aka concentration camps in, in the north of China. And then you've got all this instability with Russia playing their tricks and cutting pipelines and things like that. And then China, no, it's a weather balloon, honestly. And all of this goes on. And all of it raises these questions. And there's a danger that we become numb because it's too much. It's overwhelming. And so there's a danger that we just shut down. Perhaps you can identify with this feeling either for the circumstances around or perhaps in your own life, in your own circumstances. Have you ever felt that sense that it's just too big? You're like, who am I? Where, where do I even begin to sort this out? And maybe you feel powerless. You're not on your own. Powerless. Not just... Powerless when it comes to Ukraine, or powerless when it comes to the aggression of China, or not just powerless when it comes to this massive earthquake, and what can we do that's meaningful? Not just powerless, but powerless to even deal with the things that are hurting you in your own life. Powerless, you feel, or discouraged by opinions that others have, or obstacles in the way, or restrictions and red tape. But I want to tell you, God is the God who can do much with a little. Now, this message isn't in isolation. Uh, we've had five weeks of excellent preaching, and I'm so sorry that you've got me again now. <laughs> but you've, you've had five weeks of really like relevant messages where the Spirit of God has been saying something directly into the church interconnected in each one that was not planned that was not planned we had Andrew starting the year talking about sifting and needing and proving and feeling that God was saying these words for us as a church so we would go through a process of sifting like a baking analogy of needing uh, and of proving. Uh, and then Graham spoke about acting in love, the love of Christ. He encouraged us to take our heart for a spiritual MOT, that, that safety check that we do on our cars, uh, and, uh, and to take heed of any advisories that God gives us. Uh, and then John spoke about risk and support and, and, and doing all this with courage. Uh, and we remember that stick that he held up saying, up the support, you know, this is what we are to do with courage and risk. Then Ian Ross Hey, let me tell you, there is no such thing as retirement in the kingdom, and I'm so pleased that my brother, Pastor Ian Ross, could come and bring a message. And this is a church where your age does not mean anything when it comes to your calling. Ian spoke to us about a door of opportunity that God may be opening, that he felt God was saying he's opening for us this year. And I think some of what I'll say today comes into that. And then Margaret last week 
Resecuring our foundations. I, I want to say something very briefly about this. And in no way am I making any kind of humorous thing here. Margaret came up with the title for her message because she prayed. And she said, Lord, what am I to speak on this week? Uh, and the message, I have changed the name of it online just to be sensitive. But the message was earthquake-proof your life. And that was about 12 hours before that earthquake. You see, when we preach, we're not just spouting opinion. We're not just seeking to tell you what we believe, even though that's in there. But in our preaching, we want the Spirit of God to deposit something that we can't into the situation. And I believe that God did something prophetically in advance of what happened last week. Because if you go back and listen to that message, you will hear that it is about where we go when everything falls apart. God is the God who can do much with a little. And what God is doing, I believe, is preparing us to meet the overwhelming. It doesn't sound like a great encouraging message, does it? Like, oh no, what's coming now? The overwhelming's here, guys. I'm not saying there's more. There might be, there might not be, but it's here. The circumstances are already overwhelming. And God is preparing us to meet that, not just to meet it, but to be victorious over the overwhelming. So that the overwhelming in Christ becomes underwhelming. Paul says in Romans 8, no, in all these things, all these things, we are more than conquerors, not through our ability and our skills and our great charisma, but through Jesus Christ, through him who loved us, more than conquerors. That's your foundation in Jesus. If your foundation is in Jesus, nothing will shake it. And you will be more, more than a conqueror, regardless of what the ground feels like outside. And four words that have really stood out to me over the past four weeks, a few weeks. Courage, faith, obedience, and love. And put a circle around that one if you're taking notes, because that is the absolute critical. If I make all the noise in the world, make all the right noises and sound like the best preacher, but I don't have love, what's the point? I'm just a gas bag. Everything I say today has to do with those words, courage, faith, obedience, and love. Words to take seriously and words to mantle upon our shoulders. We're not simply called to try to help. If we are called just to try to help, that's where we feel overwhelmed. That's where we feel helpless. That's where we feel useless. That's where we feel like, who am I? What can I do? What difference can I make? But you're not called just to try to help. We are called to carefully listen and courageously obey. Go through the doors of opportunity that God opens up with faith in love. That, that's your calling. 
It takes the pressure off because you don't have to be scratching your head going, how do I help? You just have to listen to what God's saying, look at what he's doing, step where he calls you to step and be who he calls you to be in those exact places and you will be enough. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Now last week, Margaret mentioned that well-known event. It wasn't the main focus of her preach, but she mentioned that well-known event in Matthew 14. And even if you've never opened the Bible before, I'm sure some of you will have heard of this. Maybe you've heard of it and thought, what the heck? Because she mentioned that that, that moment where where the, the disciples are in a boat. And it's not like the Titanic, mind you, that wouldn't have been much good for them anyway, but it it was this little wooden thing out on the Sea of Galilee, uh, and there comes this storm, and I know the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake, but it's a big lake. And when the winds whip across that, like the storm, the waves rise and you don't want to be in a, basically a dinghy with a sail on it in those conditions. And here's where the disciples are. And that's normal. They're terrified. That's normal. What's not normal is Jesus strolling out towards them on the waves. And I'm sure you know this story. And then even more baffling is Peter doesn't really think twice about it. He says, call me and I'll come to you. And he does. Like, what kind of mentality do you have to have to do that? And he does it. And then there's the winds, the waves, the physical impossibility of it, and the magnificent saving power of Jesus Christ, all in that one story. But just prior to that, there's another astonishing event in Matthew 14, 15 to 21 that Graham referenced in our prayer time this week. As leaders, we, we prayed and we we're praying about some of these situations. Graham mentioned this as we were seeking God over these things, and I'll, I'll be talking about those. But by way of meaning, meaningful intro, I want to look at John's version of the story Okay, so could you go to, if you've got Bible, if you haven't, use your phone, and if you haven't got that, don't worry, it's coming up on the screen. John 6, and I'm going to be looking at sort of 1 to 13, Uh, and maybe this is familiar to you as well. Uh, If we were to title it, it would be the feeding of the 5,000. So I'm sure that you've got some idea of, of what this is all about. So here we go. Sometime after this, that's where it starts. So it's, it's already outlining, John's outlining that something's happened, and sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Just, just pause there a second, it, because he starts with those words, sometime after this. Well, what is it that he's saying this sometime after? The previous chapter outlines Jesus' authority being questioned by the rulers and the Pharisees. They are questioning who he says he is. They are questioning his actions. They are questioning his very identity and character. Uh, And Jesus says to them... John 5, 19, he says, the son can do nothing by himself, only what he sees the father doing. That's Jesus placing his identity right there. The work that Jesus does, he goes on, is the work that the father has given to him. And these works that Jesus is doing testify 
They tell the story that it is the Father who sent him. So Jesus' answer to their questioning is, I am the Son, I do what I see the Father doing. And then also the fact that in verse 4 it says the Jewish Passover was near. Well, that, I think, helps us to realise this was a real event in the real calendar at a real time. It's a detail that you wouldn't bother putting in if you were just telling a bit of a tale. And so here we are. Verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Sometimes, listen, the, the question that is asked by God doesn't fully reflect the answer that is about to come. Sometimes God asks us a question because he wants to see how we respond to him, how our faith rises to meet the question. And if our answer to the question is about practicalities, then we've already kind of missed what God is saying. Because God is speaking to us by his Holy Spirit and he wants us to respond first through faith and not through practicality. So here we are. Here's a modern day example. How do we raise enough money to get the kind of building that we need for Riverview Church? Imagine God asking us that. Now the wrong answer for us to say would be, well, let's get a GoFundMe page going and let's see if we can lobby. Let's get some lottery money involved in it. Let's try these. Actually, God would ask that question because he wants us to say, okay, God, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? Show us that you can do this and we trust you. And the answer to every question really is, I trust you, God. And he goes on. Philip answers him in verse 7. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, just a, a morsel. Uh, half a year's wages, 200 denarii is what it is. I've no idea how that converts. The, the conversion app I've got on my phone doesn't convert denarii, okay? But, but half a year's wages, the, if the average wage in the UK is, is in the region of 30,000 uh, pounds, apparently, if the average wage, that's 15,000 pounds is needed to feed these people. Fancy that job? Church lunch, Leslie, next time? 15,000 pounds. And that, that seems like he's exaggerating, like, oh, that's just, oh, it's gonna cost millions, Lord. No, he's not. But when you consider how many people are there, later on we'll find out there are 5,000 men. And we know there's at least one child there, but it's much more likely that there are men and, sorry, that there are women and children on the hillside accompanying. Now imagine if there were 5,000 women and 5,000 children, then that's 15,000 people on that mountainside that need fed. And I think a pound a head for having your fill of fish and bread is pretty good value. But still, they don't have that. Another, moving on, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Like, I think he's planning just to rob these off the kid. 
Like, it doesn't say, like, I'll go and ask him. Like, here's a boy. I'm going to take his lunch. <laughs> like, I'm going to just take that from him. But, but he says, but how far will that go with so many people? And here's the thing. I, I don't think he was actually going to rob the boy. And so I, I read into this that this boy had great courage. He gave up probably his family's dinner. He, he risked getting his ear bent when he got home for giving away the family's food. That's what he risked. This boy gave everything that he had. Courage to give. But bless Andrew for even raising it because nobody else was saying anything. And I bet like Simon Peter was there going, duh, <laughs> like, that's not, that's not going to work. There's only five, five loaves and, and two small fish. But Jesus says, have the people sit down. You know, the first song that we sang after Margaret welcomed this morning was talking about being still before God. Jesus says, have the people sit down. Rest. Take the weight off. I am going to feed you. Be still. I am going to to feed you. That is a word for someone here today, I know. Be still. I am going to provide. Give me, trust me, watch me. And he goes on. There's plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks like we have today and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Like in God's provision, we're not orphan children of God who get the scant rejects off of the table. In Christ, we can be satisfied fully with what Jesus has for us. In God's provision, we are satisfied fully. In God's provision, there is plenty. But listen, there's also nothing wasted. Because he goes on. When they had had all, uh, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Wow. I mean, there is no other way to see this other than a miracle, complete, a, a miracle that declares the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, the authority of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that this is a miracle, but let's just look at, at one thing. I'll just pop it back there. Number one, the boy fed no one. Consider that for a second. The boy fed no one. He gave his little, and Jesus worked his much. All that was required of the boy was to give what he had and let Jesus do what he would do. God's not asking massive, impossible things from you. He's just asking you to be obedient with what you have. Let him do the impossible, magnificent, in and around you. We don't do miracles. God does miracles. 
the Spirit of God. He, he might use us. We might be instruments, but like the boy who has the loaves and the fish, that's how we come. It's Jesus' authority. It's his power. It's his splendor. It's his majesty. Our job is to be there in the field that he's asked us to be and be obedient with what we have in our hands. This boy, point two, surrendered into Jesus' hands and it was used. And and bear this in mind, it was not used to feed all of Israel. It was not used to end food poverty around the world at that time. It was used to feed the field that the boy found himself in. And so we can scale back from the overwhelming, how can I possibly, and just be in the field that he has called you to be, surrendering what you have in your hands to him. And that is the way, because it's not all about me, it's not all about you. There are something in the region of two and a half billion Christians in the world. Do you not think God is able to put a boy in a field So we go where we're called to go. God is not calling for us to fix the world or the church or even the town or men, your wife. God's not calling you to fix your wife. (laughs) He's calling you to love her, to honor her, to put her first, to cherish her, to protect her, not in a chauvinistic kind of way. That's what God's calling you to do He's not calling you to fix her. That's the Holy Spirit's job. God's not calling you to fix the new convert. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He calls us to carefully listen and courageously obey with faith, in love, in the field or fields where we find ourselves or where he's placed ourselves. Are you with me on that? Okay. So I just want to take a couple of moments to talk about two of those fields that I find myself in, uh, and in some measure, because I find myself in those fields, uh, you guys are kind of there with me. <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> relevant to me and Jess, but also relevant to Riverview. Uh, and the first field that we find ourselves in is right here. This town, this church, this people. That is where God has called myself and Jess to minister and to be. Uh, And it's a geographical calling. It is here. You, you, church, are our first focus, our our highest priority. That is what God has asked of myself and Jess. Uh, It's what God has asked of the leadership team. Uh, And if you're here and if you're kind of partnering with Riverview Church, then that's you as well. That's a priority, right? We, We love you. We continue to walk with you. We will continue to walk with you in faith and in obedience and expectation of what much God can do with our little. I'm saying that because I want to underline a couple of things here from from where I go from here on in, okay? I want you to know, Jess and I are going nowhere. We're we're staying in Riverview Church. We're we're staying in Bonas until God says go. Uh, we're not yours indefinitely we're we're his indefinitely and we'll go wherever he says but but I want to tell you underline this there are no plans that we are perceiving that God is saying Tom Jess it's time for you to move to another church another location so we're here you are our priority we we continue to to be invested in Riverview Church to be pastoring here to to be pouring out to be full of expectation on your behalf as well to see what God will do in this town 100% but there's a second field 
field that, that Jess and I find ourselves placed in by God. It's a field we didn't look for. It's a field we found ourselves in uh, about a year ago. And this is more situational than geographical. Uh, and this field is Ukraine. Now, I want to also say clearly, this is not ignoring response to Turkey or to Syria, to Haiti, to Afghanistan, to Iran, to, to Myanmar. There, there, there are places, there are many places that we could focus, um, but we have to listen carefully and obey courageously where God leads us. Now, also, regarding Turkey and Syria, I, am, I, I would just encourage you to, to just lay the little that you have before God and say, do you want me to do something with this? It, it might be that you just give to, to an appeal on the telly or, or, or speak to Patricia because Patricia, uh, where are you in here? Still, there you are. Uh, Patricia works for the Barnabas Foundation. Barnabas Aid. And so, like, speak to her because she will know ways in which you can meaningfully help in Turkey and Syria right here. Speak to her. What a wonderful resource to have you in the church, uh, Patricia. Bless you for that. Uh, and some of you will have other nations on your hearts as well. I, I encourage that. Go where God calls you. Give where God calls you. But, but God has not, at this time, placed me in those fields. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I don't give, but that's not my primary thing. I, I trust implicitly that among the two billion Christians around the world that God has placed other people with the right heart to act in those places as well. But now a brief synopsis. I, I want to give you some pictures. I haven't, since I went to Ukraine in, uh, with Jess in November, I, I realize I haven't fed back to the church really much about that at all. I'm not going to do that at large today, but I just want to show you a couple of things to kind of frame what I'm going to say now. So firstly, this is a church in Lviv. It is uh, Bethesda Evangelical Church, which is Pentecostal. It's very similar to us. Okay, Jess and I really felt that we were with family. They've even got the same chairs that we've got in Riverview over the road. That's how much like this they are. And if you just look up to the left of the cross, that says, uh, I, I probably pronounced this wrong, guys, but Isus Christos. Isus Christos in Ukrainian, in Cyrillic. And so this is the church. That was a day where a youth band were practicing for a big event that was going to happen in January because the church has not stopped being the church in Ukraine, praise God. In fact, the, the, that was the Saturday. On the Sunday, I was preaching in that church and the sirens were going off and they just decided to turn up the volume a little bit. Uh, and that was their response. We are not going to let fear dictate how the church behaves. And the same is true here. I was so encouraged by that. Um, here is uh, Pastor Taras. Ignore the two ugly ones on the end. Well, no, one ugly one on this end. Be beautiful. Oh, don't, just scrub that from the mix. <laughs> In the middle is uh, Pastor Taras uh, and his, his wife, Lilia. And I love these guys with all my heart. Like, I've only known them for less than a year, but I feel there's a real kindred there. Um, yeah, just love these guys. And, and it's Pastor Taras, among three other pastors as well, who I dearly love, who, who I'm working with. And actually, Riverview has now some form of partnership with them. And then there's... So Pastor Taras, his church is involved in, in many ministries that are really effective. One of the ones we went to on a Saturday night was a, a homeless outreach 
I got to preach the gospel to, to a ton of homeless people, and I got to go and just hug every single one of them and speak to them about the love of God that is available to them. But one of the things, we went to this orphanage called Grace Orphanage in Lviv, and it's, it's a ministry, a sub-ministry of the church. It's got its own board, and we sat with these kids, we worshipped with them, we prayed for them, we, uh, you know, they kept bringing us food and, and like just wanted to play and this for me was probably the most joyful and the most heartbreaking moment of, of our entire trip and, and there they are pulling funny faces as well, you know, I love these guys and just before I continue so I can catch my breath, um, well there's another couple of them, <laughs> just kids are kids everywhere in the world, kids are kids right? And these kids should not be in the situation that they're in. It is evil. It is the enemy's intent. He always, through history, read your Bible, women and children, the the enemy of God always comes against the women and children. Not all of those kids are orphans, actually. They're they're referred to as social orphans. Their families can't look after them or won't look after them. There are some there that have no parents as well. Um, there's little we can do. You, you cannot, there, there is no way to adopt children from, from Ukraine at the moment. Because Russia, and you can see reports of this, like to back up what I'm saying here, but there are reports of Russian troops going into orphanages in the east of Ukraine to, to forcibly remove children. There, there are something like 10,000 or more children that have disappeared completely. This isn't right. This is evil. Children are children wherever they are. Uh, And Jesus, when he says, let the children come to me, he's not just saying, because I love hanging out with them. There's something a bit bigger in it than that. But let me tell you about this present situation. So two Tuesdays ago, I I still have an app on my phone. I'm not going to activate it out of respect for my brothers and sisters who are here. But it, it basically gives an air raid warning for certain regions and you can set the app to the region that, that you are in and, and if you can't hear for some reason the, the town or the city's air raid sirens, that, that will go off and you know I've got to go to shelter. Uh, and let me tell you, in Khakiv and places like that over in the east and down in the south, like that is a daily thing where for sometimes 12 hours of the day people will have it, be having to shelter. Uh, and in Lviv it's not quite like that. But I kept this app on my phone when I came back because even if it wakes me up in the middle of the night, I feel my brothers and sisters are having to live under that, so I am going to wake up when that wakes me up and I'm going to pray every time. And this particular Tuesday, it went off three times before midday. And so I I phoned Pastor Taras, and I said, Pastor Taras, I've not known it to go off for Lviv three times in in such short amount of time. What is going on? And he explained a bit to me about the, the concern that we've all heard in the news that Russia is planning a fresh kind of something Nobody really knows what it looks like, but there's fear that there's a build-up of troops on the Belarusian border, and that could threaten Lviv directly. And that would make tactical sense as well, because all the aid, all the tanks, all the things, they're going to come through the West into the country, and strategically. And so 
as we're talking about this, I said, Pastor Taras, what about the children? I said, if, if Russia invade from the north, I said, I just want to grab a coach, drive over, pick those kids up. I don't know how that works. And he said, Tom, if it comes to that, it'll be too late. We want to get those kids out now. This is the situation I'm bringing to you. Uh, I, I, we spoke about it for some time. I said, can I be clear, Taras? Are you, are you saying you want to evacuate the children now and you want to evacuate them to the UK and you want me to help you? And he said, yes. I said, Taras, I'm a small pastor in a small town. I, I don't have connections. I don't know what to do. Who am I? But I, will, I can't walk away from those kids. And so I said, I'll, I'll do everything I can to help you. Uh, and so the leadership team here have said, yes, we're in. We'll, we'll do everything we can. And, and so actually for, for the next couple of weeks, I've put my preaching schedule aside and these guys are going to fill in and, and back up so that I can do something meaningful here. But let me tell you, it's overwhelming. It's huge. It's ridiculously complex. I am completely inexperienced and inequipped, but it's like loaves and fish. And so I'm just following the little breadcrumbs of that to say, where are you leading? Uh, and that's led to me having some weird conversations with various people, uh, you know, conversations with people I never thought I'd be having conversations with. And here's the upshot right now. There is no legal route to bring children into the UK who are not accompanied by their legal guardians. However, nobody yet has told me, stop trying, it's impossible. In fact, the opposite. Falkirk Council said, there's no legal route, and so your only route is direct negotiation with the Scottish Government. So, that's what we do. But there's so many people, we've got to get the Apostolic Church to agree, we've got to get the Scottish Government to agree, we've got to get the Ukrainian Government to agree, we've got to get the Orphanage to agree, we've got to get the UK Government to agree, and we've got to let other countries agree to let them have passage through if that were to happen. I don't know if this is going to happen, I can't tell you, I don't have answers, I'm following breadcrumbs. But, but this is what I feel is important for us. Now, this, you might imagine, brings a certain amount of frustration and overwhelmed feeling to me. It hasn't. I have peace. Perfect peace. Because I know that God is in this. They might never come to this country. We're, we're looking at options in Poland. They, the orphanage would rather the kids come and be in one place so basically you just transform, transport the whole thing. But, but Falkirk Council Social Services would rather the kids are placed in families, uh, foster families. Uh, and I think if that happens, those children should be placed in Christian families because they're part of a Christian house. They all go to church. These kids are believers. They pray. And so I think it's appropriate that we try to fight for them if they come here. And if it has to be families, that we fight for it to be Christian families. But listen... This is not for the faint-hearted. You would, if you were thinking, oh yeah, we'd, we'd take some children, you'd have to be PVG'd by the council, you'd have to be approved for fostering, you'd have to be willing to be in it for 12 to 24 months, and you'd have to also ensure that you will let that kid go back to Ukraine when it's appropriate, 100%. I, I don't know 
what to do now. The reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to pray. I've got a meeting with somebody from the UK government this Thursday. Hopefully that will open some doors. Um, but pray. Time's not our best friend. It's really complex. It's a really big ask of community. It's the long haul. And there's a lot of questions that we haven't yet answered. And the best thing for us to do is to try and sit face to face with the orphanage board. I'm going to take Simeon in a week's time. I'm going to take Margaret. And we're going to go to the border. And we're going to try to make arrangements there with churches so that if the kids have to come out in an emergency, there'll be a place where they can go and be looked after. So that's our main task. But we also, if the spirit opens the door uh, and all these different things that have to fall into place, then we might go into Lviv and sit down with the board because putting Simeon in that room is critical. We can do in an hour what will take us four weeks through WhatsApp and things like that. So I I hope you understand that's our emergency contingency. Margaret, Simeon and I will be heading off on the 22nd. We'll be um, uh, getting ourselves to Przemysl on the border and we'll just see what we can do. It's a small amount of time that we're going for, so just pray that that small amount of time and that small number of us going be like loaves and fish. God can do much with little. Leslie, um, this isn't isolated from what I've been saying. This isn't isolated from what the Spirit is saying to you today. And I'm not asking anything of you, church, other than to pray and release us, the three of us, with your blessing to go and do that, knowing that you're still our first priority, but we, we can't just walk away from this. But listen, with God... This is for you. Small input equals giant output. You might think it's insignificant. Nothing, nothing is insignificant when it's yielded to God, nothing. One word of encouragement to somebody in this room will set a fire that fans into flame something in their lives that God has put there. One word, one tiny little thing that you can do will speak such a volume that the chorus of heaven joins it. When yielded to Jesus with courage, faith, obedience, and love, a little flour and oil can feed a family through a famine. A little pebble can floor a giant. A little breath can impart the power of God. A little salve can heal the eyes. A little touch can heal the sick and bleeding woman. A little donkey can carry a king. A little group of nobodies can impact the entire world for millennia so that 12 become 2.4 billion. Come on, tell me that God can't do amazing things with small things. Three short words to raise the dead. Lazarus, come out. Three short words to declare the full accomplishment of Jesus' work on the cross. It is finished. Wrapped in those three words, all of our forgiveness and restoration, redemption, justification, righteousness. And so church, little intentions little actions, little offerings, little faith like mustard seed. Little, who the heck are you when yielded to God with courage, faith, and obedience in love? 
I was going to close by telling you a story of a generator, which is a literal loaves and fish story. I think I'll put that in connect later. Let's stand together. Vance, do you want to come? Heavenly Father, we just place ourselves before you.